You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. All right, it is the Matt Walsh Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry that I missed you last week. I was, I was in Alaska. We were doing a thing for the right to life. Um, uh, the right to life of Alaska. I, I was speaking at an event up there, and that was a lot of fun. And in fact, it's been a very busy week because uh, I'm recording this now, and in a few hours, I got to get on a plane. I'm going down to Texas, and we're doing a uh, well. I'm not doing it, but I'm going to be attending and speaking at a uh, homeschool conference down there, the great homeschool conventions. Um, so it's been, and uh, my wife makes fun of me because I'm one of those when it comes to to uh, flying. I'm one of those where you have say an 8.30 flight, I'm getting to the airport at 6 a.m. And I get everywhere early. You know, I, I, I get everywhere early, but when it comes to, to airports, I'm getting there extremely early. And part of that is I'm always paranoid about the long line of security. But it's also, I sort of enjoy, and this is the truth, I sort of um, enjoy, air. I like being at airports. Is that weird? I like airports. I don't, I don't like the security part, but once you get through that, and, and I hate airplanes. I'm not afraid of airplanes, but I don't like them because it's cramped and you have the recycled air and you've got the guy in front of you with bad gas and the guy next to you with B.O. Uh, or maybe that's your own B.O. deflecting off of him, and, and, but you're not sure. But anyway, it's an uncomfortable situation. Uh, airports I kind of like, though, and I'm not sure why. They're, it's sort of like this, its own little world. It's the only place outside of Vegas, for instance, where you can have a cocktail at 7.30 in the morning, and nobody will judge you for it. So um, that's, what's, that's what's going on with me. Uh, a lot going on in the news, and, and uh, this is going to be kind of a shorter part. I say now this is going to be shorter, but then that means it's going to be three hours long. Uh, but as it stands right now, um, it'll be shorter. But I, I don't want to forget about this. Um, it, a big news story from earlier in the week that, like most big news stories, gets some attention for about, seven hours and then it just kind of goes away because of the way that the news cycle works. Um, but if you didn't notice, according to the people who make these sorts of predictions, the Supreme court has set the stage for an imminent announcement that same sex marriage is a constitutional right for everybody. Uh, they, they effectively legalized the practice in Alabama by on Monday, I think it was Monday declining to block or delay a federal court's ruling against the state's marriage, gay marriage ban. ban. Uh, so to not a gay marriage ban, that would be, I guess, a, a musical act that shows up to play gay, gay marriages. No, a gay marriage ban. Anyway, to simplify, duly elected legislators in Alabama passed a marriage law, okay? Defining marriage as between a man and a woman. A federal judge decided that that law was yucky and mean, and, and it, it, it made her tummy hurt. So she summarily ordered the courts in Alabama to ignore it. And the Supreme Court decided yet again to side with judicial tyranny and against states' rights, which seems to be an indication that gay marriage will, will soon be declared legal by the high court, regardless of what any citizen or what any lawmaker or what any group of voters have to say about it. Doesn't matter. This, by the way, was a was a uh, a decision where only two justices dissented. So you had Alito and Clarence Thomas that dissented, but all the rest, um, including the supposed conservatives on the court, said we don't. You know, this is an opportunity to. It, it's not even about well, we're going to stand up for traditional marriage. Although I'd like to see them do that. 
It was, we're going to stand up for states' rights. And we're going to say, the, the voters decided this, and one judge in her magnificent robes can't decide to just undo it. They could have made that decision, and they didn't. None of this is surprising, and on the same subject, it was even less surprising to find out a couple of days ago from Obama's former advisor, David Axelrod, that the president uh, lied about his opposition to gay marriage in 2008 in order to get elected. Can you, can you, can you believe it? Can you imagine? He lied. I, I mean, I was so stunned to hear that. I said, lied? That's not the Barack Obama I know. No, that man would never lie. No, of course he lied. Obviously he lied. Only an idiot would have ever believed that the man was sincere when he announced in 2012 that his views on marriage had, quote, evolved. Okay, it's rare, if not entirely impossible, that a, that a politician's convictions would just so happen to change and transform in direct correlation with public opinion and precisely during campaign season. That has probably never sincerely happened in the history of, of time. So Obama is a liar, and he's a, a simpering little weakling who sways with the wind and stands for absolutely nothing. This is not breaking news. It's not worthy of any further analysis. Um, although I, you know, I don't want to completely gloss over it, Obama professed on multiple occasions that his faith in Jesus Christ called him to oppose gay marriage. So he used his alleged religion as a cover for a lie which is simply despicable. And it, it again confirms that he is a heretic, not a Christian. He is a man of no integrity, no character. And the conservatives out there try to give him credit and say, well, I think he's a good guy. You know, Bill O'Reilly does this, I think. I think he's a good guy. He means well, but he's just misguided. No, no, that's not, there's no evidence of that. Where is the evidence of him being a good guy who's well-intentioned? Is there any evidence of it? Because don't say it if there's no evidence of it. I know it doesn't. I know. It, I know it sounds nicer to say, "Well, you know, he means well," but I just disagree. No, there is absolutely zero evidence that he means well. We have evidence of him lying constantly for his own gain. That is not evidence of a man. That is not evidence of a good man or a man of character or a man of integrity or a man of, who means well. That is evidence of a man who does not mean well. And, and it's evidence that his election and his re-election will forever stand throughout history as a, as a mark of shame for our entire generation. And I don't just mean my generation like millennials. I mean our entire civilization. I put him into office twice. I mean, I didn't put him into office, but we're all going to be lumped into it. You know, when history, when history is written, we're all lumped into it. This is an important point that I've been trying to, to make about Obama, and I think... Um, we are uh, six years now, whatever, and it feels like 40 years, but we're six years into his, into his rule, his reign. Um, it, it's probably about time that his opponents, conservatives, whoever, that they begin to understand who he actually is and who he isn't. And what I can tell you is that he, you know, all of this talk about Obama is a Muslim sympathizer or actually a Muslim, um, you know, he wants Sharia law in the United States, he, whatever. I, I mean, it's all absurd and it, it's, it's not true. And the reason why I think it's important 
to point out that it's not true isn't isn't for the sake of defending Obama's honor. It's so that, you know, here we are six years in. It's so that we can figure out what criticisms we should be. You, you know, you should know your enemy is what I'm saying. You, you should know what makes them tick and why they're why they do what they do. Um, and so when it comes to politicians and, and Obama, when it comes down to it, is uh, he's been a disastrous president, um, easily one of the worst that and I can't say the worst because, you know, you need some time to look back. He's certainly in the conversation to be the worst of all time. Uh, but he's been a very horrible president. There's no question about it. But when it comes down to it, he is he is a run of the mill uh, politician. It almost gives him too much credit to make him into some kind of evil genius because he's not. You know, he ran as someone who transcends, as someone who's above, as someone who's beyond uh, an ordinary politician. And yeah, he, he ran as he was beyond an ordinary politician in a good way. But the reality is that he's not beyond. He he's, he doesn't transcend. He's not beyond. He's not above. He just he's just ordinary. He's a, he's a run of the mill type of politician. Um, he's had a worst a a worse impact on our country because he's so run of the mill, because he so lacks substance, because he so lacks integrity, because like the generic politician, you look up politician in the dictionary, you know someone who serves themselves who has their own interests in mind, that's him. And that is so completely him that it's had uh, such a devastating effect on our country. So the point is, you know, he is out to empower himself. He serves himself. He's interested in his own power. To call him a secret Muslim, or blatant Muslim, is to actually give him credit. It's to say that, yeah, he's doing bad things, but he's doing it in service of Allah or some greater cause that he believes in. He's, you know, he's, he's serving his convictions that are hidden. But they, you know, it's, it almost gives him credit to say it. You're giving him credit when you say that. That's not the case. He's just serving himself. There's no greater cause. Whether it's a bad cause or a good cause, he's serving himself. That's what this is about. Ideologically speaking, Obama is certainly a progressive. There's no, there's no question about that. Ideologically speaking, Obama is a radical left-wing progressive. And that's yet another reason why to say that he's a Muslim makes no sense because if there are two things that are diametrically opposed, ideologically speaking, it would be American liberalism, modern liberalism, and, you know, uh, uh, fundamentalist Islam. There's not a lot of crossover there, right? So he's a run-of-the-mill politician, serves himself. Ideologically, he's a liberal. That's what he is. He doesn't stand up to the Muslim threat because he's a coward, because he's worried about appeasing his base, because he uh, lacks spine, um, because he's just not interested, because he doesn't care that much about defending the United States of America, but it's not as though he's actually, you know, he's really invested in seeing Sharia law all over the country. That's, that's not the case. He's just a coward. That's the point. So that's who he is. It's about time that we all understand these basic facts, this basic reality of Barack Obama. And I think one of the reasons why, why, why his critics have been in some ways ineffective in opposing him is that, you know, it's almost like, well, he's a bad, he's a bad president, so any criticism or any accusation of him I will entertain, right? That's, that's sort of what we think. That any accusation should be entertained or should be agreed with because if we at all step in and say, ah, well, that's not quite the guy, then we're accused, oh, so now you sympathize with him. 
No, I don't sympathize with him. Far from it. I just know who he is, and I know what he is. But in any case, all of that is well established. I don't think it needs to be discussed right now, although I already have. What should be discussed, however, is the overall uh, cowardice and mindless collectivism that has brought us to this point. Not, well, the point where we elect Obama, but, but uh, more specifically in this case, a point where gay marriage, quote-unquote, will soon be recognized nationwide as a right guaranteed in the Constitution. I mean, think about it. Less than 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, can you think back to, to just, you know, 2005, uh, to advocate for the redefinition of marriage was to take an extreme radical left-wing position. So extreme and radical that our most extreme and radical left-wing president had to disavow the viewpoint when he ran for office. And now, to stand against the redefinition of marriage is to be on the extreme and radical end of things. We've swayed entirely from one end of the spectrum to the other. And not for any discernible, rational reason. Proponents of gay marriage are making the same faulty, thin, superficial, emotionally charged arguments they always have. They're constructing the same straw men, using the same tactics, spouting the same slogans. They weren't convincing 10 years ago or 15 or 20, and they aren't convincing today. But now suddenly they're winning the argument. And why is that? Because cowardice, because collectivism, because when it comes down to it, many self-professed conservatives and Christians are more interested in popularity than in truth. So they're very similar to Barack Obama in that way, in fact. Um, they don't want to have the difficult conversations. They don't want to fight the important fights. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, they'd rather discuss taxes or immigration or terrorism or literally anything else, all of these important matters. But the primary things, the first things, family, marriage, life, culture, these are too dangerous for them. They don't want any part of it. They have compromised or surrendered on the most important, essential first issues. Or else they've taken cover under a kind of social libertarianism, which, which, which I hate. Um, and the social libertarianism, in the case of gay marriage, is, you know, well, I don't believe in, tradi- I, you know, well, I believe in traditional marriage. I don't believe in gay marriage personally, but let's just get the government out of it entirely. That's what they say. And you know, it sounds nice, doesn't it? But first of all, that isn't the argument we're having. Gay activists want the government to specifically recognize marriage as a union that can fundamentally include members of the same sex. That's what's happening across the nation. That's what the Supreme Court will likely soon decree. The government isn't staying out of it. Okay, The government is getting into it and transforming it and turning it into something that it isn't. You either oppose that or you don't. And if you oppose it, you should oppose it because it's morally and logically absurd, not because it upsets your supposed libertarian sensibilities. Look, I think libertarians have some very good things to offer when it comes to taxes, foreign policy, the war on drugs, you know, plenty of other things. But on social issues, libertarianism is worthless. It has no answers. Its only answer is, well, just stay out of it, government. That's not an answer. And that's not the right answer. It searches for a middle ground that doesn't exist on these issues. It wants to take a, a both sides are wrong approach, even though really only one side is wrong. The side that wants to kill babies and redefine marriage is wrong, period. So you should be on the exact opposite end of them. 
not somewhere in the middle. Besides, I mean, it's just a shameful retreat, isn't it? Gay activists complain, and now we're all running away and saying the government should pretend that marriage doesn't exist. Oh, this offends you? Okay, well, we'll just make believe that there's no such thing as marriage then. How about that? No wonder that strategy has accomplished nothing. It's ridiculous. I'm all for limited government, but but call me crazy. I kind of think it's a good idea for the government to recognize that marriage is a reality and to afford it certain specific protections and accommodations. The fate of humanity rests on the fate of the family, and the family is built on the foundation of marriage. Marriage is incredibly important because it's the best context by which to bring children into the world and to raise them into functioning adults. There's no actual downside to having a government that acknowledges this fact. Okay, the downside was manufactured by gay rights activists who didn't want to participate in the institution, but rather reshape it into something that it isn't. So the get government out of marriage bandwagon only started rolling when gay activists complained. So when you hop on board, you're doing it at their behest and for no other reason. And ironically, the people who pushed you onto it aren't actually on it themselves. They convinced you to get on it, but they're not getting on it. Like I said, they want the government very much involved. They want the government to actually alter it and change it and transform it. You know, I, on the other hand, don't want the government involved in my marriage in the sense that I'm not asking for them to uh, send a state-appointed representative to my house and oversee the whole arrangement. What I want is for the government to simply recognize the institution generally speaking, because it's a real thing and an important thing. And there's no no credible reason for them to deny that it exists. You know, there's nothing wrong with the state saying, our country needs children, children need parents, parents need to be married to provide stability for their children, so we will do certain things to protect and encourage this valuable institution. The only problem is that it offends the emotional sensibilities of some people. But that's not a real problem. But again, that isn't the debate The, the debate anyway. Um, we aren't headed into a brave new world where the reality and importance of marriage is ignored for fear of upsetting uh, a minority of individuals. Instead, we're already in a world where two particular and ludicrous assertions about marriage are about to be the law of the entire land. And those assertions are this. One, marriage is a constitutional right. Two, marriage is nothing more than a contract between consenting adults who love each other. It's it's an utter travesty that those two arguments, as bad as they are, are going to win. It's a complete embarrassment that many Christians and conservatives in this country are so inept and thin-skinned they lack the ability or willpower to explain why those two points are completely and totally fallacious because it's obvious This really isn't that hard. Marriage is not a right. How could it be? I mean, for starters, you can only get married if someone else agrees to it. That is, until we start allowing adults to wed inanimate objects, which at this point, you know, hey, why not? But for now, you can only marry another human being who consents to the union. If marriage were a human right, it would imply that all people are entitled to it. But if all people are entitled to it, then by extension, there's someone out there entitled to be married to us. And even advocates for gay marriage claim they still believe certain restrictions should be put in place, right? In some states, uh, or in most states, you still can't marry your dad or your dog or your ham sandwich. 
And as long as that remains the case, marriage cannot be called a right. It can be called an institution that we may partake in under certain circumstances. It's a privilege. Not a privilege because it's granted by the state. Because I believe that no matter what the state says, I'm still married to my wife, right? But it's a privilege because it's a specific thing. And you can't do it or be a part of it unless you fall under that definition. Gay rights activists want, want to change the definition. But for the time being, they claim they don't want to change the fact that it has a definition. And from a religious perspective, marriage definitely isn't right. You know, more and more churches are abandoning their defense of traditional marriage and thereby abandoning any legitimate claim to be a Christian church. But as far as I'm aware, you still can't march into any church and declare yourself married. Um, There's more to it than that. And in Catholicism, marriage is a sacrament between two. It's bestowed by each spouse onto the other. You know, you perform the sacrament upon your spouse and they on you. And then your souls are bound together by God. So whether we look at it from a perspective of faith or law or both, marriage is conditional. And if it's conditional, it's either not a right, or I suppose you could say it's a right under certain circumstances. So the debate then isn't really over the right, it's over the circumstances. And until one side argues for no conditions, for marriage to be recognized under any circumstance at all, then calling it a right is effectively uh, useless. Because it brings us back to the same conclusions. Point two is even easier um, to disprove, especially because it's already been addressed, well, for one thing in point one. But if marriage is just a contract between consenting adults who love each other, you'd have to explain why gay couples fall under the definition, but other variations like incestuous couples do not. And, And side note, whining about the analogy isn't the same as addressing it. Okay, I know it's uh, it's offensive. You can pay. Saying that doesn't address it. See, when you knock down a fence, you have to give a reason why you knocked it down. And this could be a challenge, especially if you don't understand why the fence was there to begin with. And I'm plagiarizing Chesterton here, but don't tell anybody. Maybe you can at least attack the very idea of fence. You know, you could knock down a fence. And then say, well, there should be no fences. Fences are vulgar barriers, and I don't believe in them, in them and so on. And uh, you could try to win the debate that way. But the problem arises when you turn around and rebuild the fence somewhere else a bit further downfield. Because now you're left with the unenviable task of explaining why the original location was insufficient and why the new location is better. And why you didn't rebuild it somewhere else or not at all. So um, in the traditional and actual and scientific and moral sense, marriage is the foundation for the family. It's the context in which children are brought into the world. All unions that are, in principle, universally incapable of producing a family cannot be considered a marriage. That's the old way. And also the real way. Whatever else you might say of the other unions that can't produce families, they're at the very least different, aren't they? And because they're different, we shouldn't act as though they're the same. So we call them different things because they are different things. If we're to knock down that fence, the fence that separates unions that, in principle, can create families and unions that cannot, if we're to say that the family is not a principal purpose of marriage, not tied to its definition, then proponents of the old way are right to ask, well, What is it then? And why that? And why not this? Or this? Or this? 
even if you can explain why the contract between consenting adults shouldn't include, for instance, incestuous couples, which you can't, by the way, or if you go ahead and concede that it could include them, which is which I think is uh, you're going to hear that more and more. But what you next have to do is justify why it has to be a contract at all and why adults and what do you mean by consenting? You've just in- invented a brand new institution. Now you have to defend it. I mean, why can't I just stand on a chair in my living room and announce that I'm married? Why do I have to do anything? What's the significance of the process itself and why undergo it? What's the real point of marriage in your estimation? If you love someone and want to be committed to them, then go love them and commit to them. Why do you have to be married per se? For the tax benefits, for the visitation rights at a hospital? Is that all marriage is? Aren't there ways to ensure that you can visit someone at a hospital without getting married? Aren't, I mean, there's a way to solve that problem, isn't there? Of course there is. So it's about more than that, isn't it? It's about, it's about turning marriage into something. And that something can really be anything. And once it can be anything, then it's nothing. And that's the goal in the end. This really is a fight over whether to preserve marriage or destroy it. And we find that when it comes down to it, if marriage is something, it can only be one thing. And if it's anything else, it's nothing. I mean, thankfully, marriage can never really be obliterated by any outside force. Uh, it's a gift given to man by God, and man cannot undo it no matter how hard he tries. But we can become a society that rejects the gift or attempts to pervert it for our own purposes. And I think that's a fate worth fighting against. And if you aren't fighting it, you're on the wrong side. It's as simple as that. All right, now Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, um, I uh, like I said, I'm, I'm writing about it slash have have written have written about it already. Um, the only thing that I'll that I'll add to everything else has been there's been a lot said about it, but I think what we see with Fifty Shades of Grey, um, and I had this conversation on my Facebook a little bit earlier earlier in the week about the Grammys. And there was some controversy over, uh, I guess they, they handed out devil horns at the Grammys to members of the audience when ACDC was playing. And by the way, ACDC, uh, what are those guys, 87 years old now, 89? How old are they now? I mean, who who is their target demographic at this point? It's I mean... Because I used to work at an uh, quote active rock station, which is a which is a genre of music that stopped existing 15 years ago. But don't tell the active rock stations. Um, and you know, we every time I, we got a new uh, like Black Sabbath song or or ACDC or one of those kind of bands, we, we would start playing it. But our target demo is 18 to 34, and what 18 year old is jamming to the new uh, ACDC tune? They don't care. That music was cool 30 years ago. Nobody cares anymore. So you've got the, it's just kind of sad. You've got this dwindling uh, you know, audience of people that grew up listening to a certain music and they never matured, their tastes never mature, and now they still like that music, but the new generation doesn't. Anyway, so ACDC, um, yeah, they had their devil horns handed out because, yeah, they're so cool, man, rock and roll. Been ARP members for 14 years. Um, and there was some controversy about, well, this is uh, Satanism. The Grammys are promoting Satanism. And we had a good conversation about Facebook, and I made the point that I don't think that the, you know, these musicians, Hollywood actors, 
Um, they're not explicit Satanists. They're not theological Satanists. Okay, they're not going to the Satanic temple and uh, sacrificing to some sort of goat-headed deity. I mean, they're not doing that. And they especially aren't theological Satanists because to be a theological Satanist, I imagine, and I'm not that familiar with uh, Satanism, I'll admit, and I have no interest in being familiar with it, but um, to be a theological Satanist, you have to at least acknowledge the existence of Satan, I, I assume. And if you acknowledge the existence of Satan, then you acknowledge the existence of God. You might hate God, but you acknowledge his existence. And that's actually further than a lot of these people are willing to go. They're, they're idol worshipers, and the idol is themselves, the ego, uh, money, fame, you know, all that. And, and that's what they care about. So what they're, what they're promoting, whether it's um, the geriatric cases in, in ACDC or whoever, uh, what they're promoting is a kind of secular Satanism in that it's, it's not religious or theological, but it is the worship of the self. And it's its own religion. And in the end, that is the religion of Satan himself. That's the sin that Satan committed. He said, I will not bow down to God. I choose myself. And that was a choice that reverberated through the cosmos. And it's a choice that's been echoed by many, many, many people ever since. Um, So I think when Christians fret about a blatant satanic conspiracy among rock bands and and Hollywood actors. Uh, I think it comes off a little bit silly and kooky. But at the same time, Christians who realize that the media we consume, you know, is it's important for us to guard our hearts and our minds and our souls and to be very selective about the media we consume and that you know, listening to a song or watching something on TV, you know, that is an, that is an act. It's, uh, it's passive, and we're just sort of absorbing whatever's coming at us, but that's what makes the act so significant and important, and that's why we have to be careful about what we do. And Christians who, who point that out are made fun of a lot of times, and, oh, you're Puritans, whatever, but they're right. They're very right about it. And we have to be careful about what we consume it is not neutral. It's never neutral. You're listening to a song. You're watching a movie, a TV show. It is never a neutral act. It is either edifying and good and redemptive, or it's not. And if it's not, it's bad. And it's pulling you further away from the truth and further away from God. And so, you know, and just because you know, if you're listening to something, just because it's not satanic death metal, it could still be having a similar effect on you. It might sound nice and it might be a pretty girl who's singing it. But it could still have the same effect. You know, for instance, um, there was all the controversy at the Grammys with Beyonce and whatever Kanye West said. I don't really care. But um, Beyonce, just a very good example of now there is music that does nothing good for you. There's a woman who's got very little talent. You know, she, she has other people write her songs. Other people make her music. She sings it with the aid of, uh, of auto-tune and computers. And so the only thing she can really do is strut her stuff on stage. That's the only talent that she actually has. Other than that, she has very little talent. And the music she p- produces, well, she doesn't produce it, but the music that has her you know, face attached to it, has her brand attached to it, because that's what she is, and that's what a lot of these artists, they're not people, they're brands. 
They are people, but they sacrifice their humanity to become a brand. And what they're putting out there is, it seems harmless, but it's not. And if we want to know if something's harmful or not, um, all we have to ask ourselves, you know, ask ourselves a, a question. Is, is this actually making us better? Do we actually feel closer to God through listening to this or watching it? And I'm not sermonizing here because this is a, you know, this is something I have to constantly remind myself. And it's a standard that I fall short of consistently, I'll admit. But that is a question we have to ask ourselves. Is this bringing us closer to God? And that doesn't mean that, and I want to be very clear about this, it doesn't mean that all the music we listen to should be, quote, Christian music or a Christian movie. Because the Christian movies and the Christian music that, ha- that, 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 you know, the ones that are branded Christian, the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity is when it became a brand. And that's what's happened. And so you have the Christian branded music or the Christian branded movies. And I don't, I pretty much dislike all of it. Um, the, 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 you know, the old traditional hymns. I love that stuff. Black gospel music. I love that stuff. I can listen to Gregorian chants. I think it's beautiful. I don't put it on my iTunes, but, but I think it's beautiful. So that kind of stuff, I think, I think it's beautiful. I, I mean, obviously old Renaissance Christian art that wouldn't have been called Christian art. It was just art, but that's all beautiful and incredible. Um, but the, the Christian brand of today, that stuff I don't like. And the movies that add, this is a Christian movie. You know, that it's Christian. Come see it. It's a Christian movie. And the people, they go watch it and they put the, they, 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 they like, they, they're going to like it no matter what they see or no matter how good it is. And the acting is horrible. It's horribly scripted. It's corny. It's just shallow. It's empty. But they come away saying it's good and fulfilling. No, it wasn't. It was just, it just had a Christian brand attached to it. There was nothing actually good about it. So I'm not saying that we should relegate ourselves to that kind of stuff. In fact, I think we should be more critical of that kind of thing. If you're going to try to sell tickets to a concert or tickets to a movie by branding yourself Christian, you better live up to it. Because I'm done with Christian being an excuse for mediocrity. If you're going to brand yourself that way, you better live up to it. A, a, a song can be very edifying without having Jesus in it. You know, you don't have to have the word Jesus in it to be edifying and to bring us closer to Jesus. But if you're going to put Jesus's name all over your song, um, it, it better be worthwhile. And it better not be something that you just put in there so that people would put the critical side of their brain away and just consume it because they're thinking, oh, it's good, it's Christian because it says Jesus. That's all I'm saying. And when we had this conversation on Facebook, um, a lot of fans of Christian music were uh, a little upset and said I'm being too hard on it and said, well, there is some good stuff. I'm not saying there isn't any good stuff. I've been around it a lot in my life. I've absorbed quite a bit of it, mostly against my will. But growing up as a, you know, as a Christian, Christian household, I mean, I've been around it a lot. So I'm not just saying this based on nothing. Uh, But I'm not, I'm sure there are some good Christian branded artists, you know, out there. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm sure they do exist. But you would have to agree that there are a lot of artists out there and a lot of movies out there that use the Christian brand to sell but actually offer nothing of substance. 
And that's a problem. That's something that we absolutely should criticize because it's cynical and it's wrong. And it might not always be, you know, like the people that are doing it are evil or, or anything like that, but what they're offering, it, it might, yes, it might be religiously themed. It might have the word Jesus in it, but it's really not, it's just, there's nothing there. And so I'm not saying it's going to hurt you to listen to it necessarily, but it, I don't think you could gain much from it because there just isn't anything there. So I'll give you, I mean, just one example. Um, when we were talking about this and people started suggesting this, oh, well, you have to listen to this band or this song. So I, I started, I did that a little bit. And I listened to some of the bands, and some of the songs, and um, I looked up some of the lyrics. And so somebody suggested the band Need to Breathe, um, a song multiplied. And so I looked up the lyrics online. Here are the lyrics. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us. We cannot contain your love will surely come find us like blazing wildfires singing your name. God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. May this offering stretch across the sky and these hallelujahs be multiplied. Um, like I said, no, no disrespect to the band Need to Breathe. They might actually have some other good stuff. I don't know. I, I've never heard them before. Maybe I have, but I just didn't realize it was them. They might have good stuff. I don't know. But this is what I'm talking about. This is just, that's just nothing. I mean, your love is like radiant diamonds. I mean, your love is like radiant diamonds. You might as well say your love is like a crashing ocean. It's just cliche. It's just thin. It's just, it's just nothing. Your love will come find us. I like blazing wildfires. What does that even mean? How do wildfires come find you? It's just, it's cliche. It's just, and I guess it's just sad because like I said, you know, now it's sort of like the Christian brand is an excuse for mediocrity, but it didn't, it wasn't always that way. It used to be that if you're going to write something expressly Christian, it is going to be painfully beautiful. If you're going to create something, that is expressly Christian, it is going to have your whole heart and soul in it. I think of uh, the the most beautiful, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful pieces of Christian art. It's not a song, but um, you think of the, the Pieta, um, which was Michelangelo's sculpture, and it depicts Jesus um, after he was crucified laying in the arms of, of, of Mary, of his mother. And it's, I mean, it is stunning. And, I, and I'm not saying that every piece of Christian art has to live up to that because that's like the pinnacle, right? But you think of, here's Michelangelo who said, I'm going to try to depict Jesus Christ and Mary. And I'm going to try to depict this intimate scene between them this tragic scene between them. And he said, I imagine he said to himself, I'm going to put my whole heart and soul into this. I'm going to slave for years at doing it perfectly. And if it isn't perfect, if it isn't worthwhile, if it doesn't come anywhere near capturing the essence of, of, of what I'm actually portraying, it will never see the light of day. I'll throw it into the ocean. It'll never see the light of day. 
And that was the attitude these men have, and it's just not the same anymore. Now it's just Christian, it's like a Christian factory. We just turn out Christian movie, Christian TV show, Christian music, Christian music, Christian music, Christian bumper stickers, Christian this, Christian that, Christian, Christian, Christian. We're just churning it out like a factory. Uh, I said this was going to be one of the shorter podcasts, but it's, uh, of course, I, I lied. Uh, but I do, I was going to talk about the Brian Williams thing, a little bit about John Stewart retiring, but who who cares? And I, and that was going to be the point anyway, that I was, it, w- it would take me 30 minutes to explain, but that was really going to be the point. Who cares? Because n- nobody really should. These people aren't as important as they think they are. There's nothing worse than when the news media becomes the subject of the news media. When you have someone in the news media who makes the news, there's nothing worse than that. Because then you get all of the, the these people who get to puff themselves up about how important it is or how tragic it is when one of, the, one of them falls from grace or whatever. I mean, these are just people sitting in front of a camera reading from a script that they didn't even write. That, that, that's what they're doing. They're, they're not that important. They're not that brilliant. They're not that talented. They're not that creative. They're sitting in front of a camera and reading from a script that somebody else wrote. That's what they're doing. That's the case. John Stewart, Brian Williams. Um, and I'm sure they're otherwise, they're successful. They're otherwise intelligent. Uh, and I'm, I don't know how between the two of them, two different types of news. Well, not that, I guess, really actually pretty similar. But I don't know how much input either one of them have. But but the point is, there's so you know they are constructs. There's so much that goes into it behind the scenes that it, it, it's really hard to give them credit for it. And so uh, who cares? I was able to summarize that one pretty nicely. All right, that's going to do it for me. Uh, you can find me. Remember, go to Facebook, uh, fa- facebook.com slash Matt Walsh blog at Matt Walsh blog on Twitter. Um, I'm the only idiot who still says at Matt Walsh blog on Twitter. Like, I have to clarify on Twitter. You what? On the Twitter machine, you can find me at Matt Walsh blog, in case you didn't know, if you hadn't heard of it. Twitter.com is what, not Twitter.org. Twitter.com at Matt Walsh blog. And I will uh, talk to you next week. Acruce Salus. Godspeed.